0: listeners, it's your host, Aisha. So uh, the episode that you're about to hear with members of the Cypress String Quartet is the first and last time you're going to hear the Cypress String Quartet on the Classical Classroom because they done broke up. They actually uh, broke up way back in June. Um, It was an amicable split, don't worry, but this episode that you're about to hear was actually recorded just three days prior to their final concert together. And the episode that you're about to hear is uh, in honor of the five-month anniversary of their breakup. Okay, that's just not true. Actually, it's just because this was the first chance that we had to fit it into our busy classical classroom schedule. Anyway, we hope that you enjoy the episode. The content is timeless because Beethoven. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes because darn it if it isn't the right thing to do. By the way, speaking of right things to do, we just had an election here in the U.S., and in light of that, I just wanted to say, in the immortal words of Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other. All right, enjoy the episode. My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. Secret very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock, and I know something about jazz, but when it comes to classical, but I really want to learn. So, every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today are two members of the Cypress String Quartet, violinist Tom Stone and cellist Jennifer Kletzel. The San Francisco-based quartet has spent almost 20 years together on stage, and during that time, they've played all over the world. They've recorded over 15 albums together, some of them at Skywalker Sound, which I can't wait to talk about. Um, (laughs) They've even been heard on House of Cards. Tom and Jennifer, welcome to The Classical Classroom. Thank you, Daisha. Hi, Daisha. So it's my understanding that not only is this new album, the Early Stream Quartets, your last recording together, but your last concert together is this month. Mm-hmm. And yet you all look so smiley on the CD cover.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we we have a great job, yeah. you know, so we're really enjoying playing together. Yeah, And uh, we've been together as a quartet for 20 years now, and three of us are founding members. So yeah. that means that three of us have been with the group for that entire time. Our violists joined us 15 years ago, so you know the four of us have been playing together for 15 years as a group. Is, so wow. um, we love playing together. So hence the been smiles. A great experience.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so well, before we get to, I, I want to ask you a lot more about that later. But before we get into sort of the life cycle of the string quartet. Let's talk about the music on your new CD. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you have, I, I looked at your discography, and you've spent a lot of time as a quartet with Beethoven. Can you tell me why? <laughs> Actually,
2: I would I would blame Beethoven for us being in a string quartet, in a way. <laughs>
0: it's Beethoven's fault.
2: No, it's, um, when we came together 20 years ago, one of the main things we wanted to do was Look at these works by Beethoven. So Beethoven wrote sixteen works for string quartet, mm-hmm. and they fall into these you know periods of time that people call the mi- the early, middle, and late, just because that's where in his lifetime he was writing them, but also there are specific styles associated with those. Mm-hmm. But actually, when we started twenty years ago, we dove right into the to the late quartets. Those uh-huh. are the most personal, the most spiritual. You know, the last three years of his life, he spent only writing string quartets. Wow. So and you like, started
0: there. <laughs>
2: we started there. Because, wow. And people said, you're crazy. Why are you starting there at the end? And we said, well, we've been waiting our whole lives. You know, here we were 20, whatever. We've been waiting our whole lives to, uh, <laughs> to, to play this music. And mm-hmm. to be able to play with a, a group who rehearses together every day, then you really create you know, a world of this is the way we believe this should sound. Here's how mm-hmm. it feels to us. Mm-hmm. And it's very different than just sitting down and reading through music with, you know, anyone who comes along.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you just, you just jumped into the deep end of the pool and That's, you were exactly. like, That's let's right. go. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> how you learn to swim. <laughs> is there a piece that you guys would uh, like Sh- to hear a bit of from that? Sure.
1: Team? How about, um, there's a quartet, Opus 130. Okay. And the, Either last track or second to last track is called The Fugue.
2: The Fugue.
0: Okay. I really like how this piece just starts right out of the gate.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's just arresting.
2: Just wait. <laughs> it's about to get really interesting. Nice.
0: it soo- <laughs> that sounds like galloping
1: yeah it does not
0: yeah that that yeah. rhythm just sounds like you're galloping towards it and it's something.
2: and it's relentless yeah. i mean that's bits beethoven at his most you know he gets really obsessed with things and that for like 2 minutes of music, yeah, it's marked you know fortissimo, so at the you know, top volume, as loudly as you can, as play. loud as you can play, and then because it's Beethoven, and he's gonna totally play with your expectations. Just when you're about to turn off the recording, because you're like, I can't handle being screamed at anymore, <laughs> he he gives you the most tender pianissimo music, just for, gentle, gentle for like one minute, and then it moves into this very kind of glorious, grand, almost like you know Handel's Messiah kind of music. Um, and that's Beethoven. And and in a nutshell, wow. you know, what gets me so excited about this composer is what he does. And, you know, when you don't, ex- I mean, I know this music and it still gets me all fired up, right? <laughs> um, because it, it's the way he plays with the expectations that you have as a listener. Yeah. It's almost like he teaches you something. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to play this relentless rhythm and now you're going to get used to it,
0: but no you're not. I'm pulling the rug out. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he doesn't let you rest or it doesn't no. give you very no. long periods. <laughs> you to never rest. get
1: very comfortable. Uh.
0: So, so what distinguishes? I mean, I know, I know just a little bit about Beethoven, and that especially toward the the end of his life, in his mm-hmm. in his late period, he was particularly his music was known for its like bombast and, mm-hmm. and and just being really big and loud. And I know that some people have sort of posited that that was because it was really hard for him to hear, mm-hmm. and yeah. and so he well, liked he liked it loud. <laughs> but so what? distinguishes that late period that we just heard a sample of from his early period, which is on the new CD?
1: Well, I guess the way I would explain it is that um, at the end of Beethoven's life in this late period, he was completely deaf. He had proven that he was one of the greatest composers, not only of his time, but of all time. Mm -hmm. And he really had nothing left to prove. He was really trying to write music for history for us today. Mm -hmm. And in Beethoven's early period in these Opus 18 quartets that we're releasing now, um, he was already 30 years old, so he was a mature composer by the standards of that time. But he still had to prove that he was worthy of the classical tradition of Haydn and Mozart, who'd come before him. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. those quartets, you hear, you know, it's kind of, in a way, it's a proving ground. Like, you hear... Beethoven's personality and voice and some of the bombast and theatricality and drama that comes out in these early quartets. But you also hear him carrying the torch of Haydn and Mozart, like the lightness and operatic qualities of Mozart, Mm -hmm. the kind of conversational musical style that Haydn had invented. He's carrying those and showing that he's he can do that too and that he's worthy of this tradition. Yeah.
2: So it's almost take, like like taking a really unruly student and putting them in a classroom and saying you have to behave this way. So it's <laughs> a little bit of that going on. Uh-huh. Right? He is he is staying within the structures although already he's starting to bust out a little cuz he's Beethoven. Right. He doesn't like the rules. He's going to yeah. change the rules. He's going this is why we call him the revolutionary, right? Yeah. Because yeah. he just decided, "No, I don't like that. I'm going to change that up. I'm going to, you know, do yep. this with harmony. I'm going to do this with rhythm."
1: <laughs> and what I mean what to me is so cool about beethoven as a as a human being and not just a composer is that he never stood still his music mm-hmm. just always changed and um and it connected to what was happening in his personal life really so during these early quartets he was losing his hearing he was mm-hmm. 30 and you know he was really disturbed about it but he had a huge emotional crisis around 1802 where he finally came to terms with the fact that he was going to go deaf he was depressed um, he contemplated suicide, and mm-hmm. when he came out of that depression, um, he had a new resolve um, and also a new freedom to write music. and um, And that new freedom led to him really ushering in the Romantic era in music and identifying with figures like Ulysses from the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. and um, And you see a huge shift in his music. There are germs of it in the early quartets. You hear you hear where he's heading, but there was a big sort of ground shift. At that moment, yeah. um, and and you can sort of see those moments throughout Beethoven's life, and you know how incredible for a composer to overcome deafness right. and still yeah. not only write music but write even greater music than he had before.
0: And is is it is it that moment, like when he sort of emerges from from that depression, that you start getting the the just intense emotion that that people are so accustomed to. to? Well, that's
1: the interesting thing is that you hear the germs of it in the early quartets. Yeah. So, for example, the very first quartet he published, the slow movement is based on the tomb scene of Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's never been a more, you know, emotionally impactful story than that tomb scene from Mm -hmm. Shakespeare. And Beethoven captures it exquisitely in the music. I mean, it's so romantic and emotional. But then there was a transition after this personal crisis where those emotional germs that you already see in the early works get yeah. expanded I and see. Okay. and changed and become even more somehow even more bold
0: I see It's much more restrained. Yes. It, uh, sort of. It's lovely. And it's melancholy. It's, and it's, it's, it's filled with emotion, but it's but it's much more restrained. Yeah.
2: At this point, there'll there'll be a
0: point later on in the movement where it actually
2: you, you can even you know the way that scene plays out after Juliet realizes that Romeo has poisoned himself and is, mm-hmm. is laying there dead, she takes his dagger and stabs mm-hmm. herself. That's yeah. How the scene plays out, Beethoven actually. You know, he doesn't notate this is exactly where it happens, but there's a point where there's almost like a stab and a scream in the first violin part, and then a and then a silence. And you know, he he really he plays this out beautifully, dramatically, and it goes back and forth between the cello and the first violin as if those are you know there's the Romeo and Juliet voices. So it's kind of brilliantly, it's kind of programmatic music already. You know, he's he's making a scene out of it, and if you didn't know that, it's Mm. great music regardless. But knowing it. It, it it makes it even more special.
0: So programmatic music for our listeners who who aren't super familiar with that term is is music that's actually kind of has a story to it, mm-hmm. or is maybe based on some characters, as opposed to like absolute music, right? right. Which is that's right. Uh, just self referential music. That's right. Is that? Am I getting it? That's right? a great explanation. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yay! I learned something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so is that? Um, speaking of that, like. Is, is Beethoven more known for programmatic music or for more absolute music? Mm.
1: You know, I think he kind of opened the door on that discussion in a way because there are movements like you just heard mm-hmm. that we know for a fact are based on a story, and he's actually depicting the exact story in the music. Yeah. There's other music that he wrote that's just more sort of abstract and sort of purely just the music. Yeah. And he sort of set the stage and about a generation later it sort of played out with composers like Johannes Brahms and and Wagner and Berlioz and others mm-hmm. where you know there were big arguments in musical journals and magazines and in the public about you know, which approach was the right approach. <laughs> um, the fact is both are. But, <laughs> right. Um, the right approach. That's yeah. Funny. So. Yeah.
0: Well, the, so I, I purposefully kind of skipped over the middle period mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I thought that it would be interesting to see the contrast of something late yeah. and then something early. But is there anything from – I know you guys have also done – the, the middle period is there anything from that that you you feel like is a good good example of yeah. I'm sure it all is but <laughs> something yeah, well, that you particularly like
1: probably my favorite middle quartet is the what's called the Opus fifty nine number two uh-huh. and in the slow movement of that quartet he talks about how he, he was reading Immanuel Kant and there was an idea in his philosophy that that Beethoven quoted which is that the two things that never cease to amaze me are the heavens above me, and the moral law within me. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea. Beethoven was trying to understand the universal and the moral, and he tries to represent it in his music. Yeah. what's amazing about the middle quartets is you know Beethoven really came into his own and he established that he was one of the greatest composers of his time mm-hmm. and every movement's different from every other yeah so you know you can listen on your own sometime and just notice that each one's unique and different
2: actually i've had a friend i had a friend do that with the Razumovsky quartets i said okay write a descriptive word about each movement of these three quartets uh-huh. and they didn't know anything about music but they they were amazed when they thought of it that way mm-hmm. oh this one is light hearted oh this one sounds like you know somebody's pulling my heart out <laughs> <laughs> you know with a spoon and uh, this one right. feels more like and each one was so unique that they were they were amazed by that and I said well that's why I love Beethoven so much
0: Before you guys go, I just wanted to ask um, about the elephant in the room, which is that sure. you guys are breaking up, so who's mm-hmm. the Yoko? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: we, we all are.
0: <laughs> we're all the Yoko. Yeah. Um, no, what, it was a- what, what signaled that it was time to cypress out?
1: <laughs> well, we finished some projects that were really important to us, like recording of the early Beethoven quartets and have had an amazing 20-year run together and just decided it was time to try something new and very few people get to work for 20 years with three other you know people and i find like all of my colleagues are amazing and uh, it's been such a privilege and it's uh it's time to try something different now
0: Mm -hmm. yeah well congratulations on an amazing career and you know spending that long with other human beings and, and having a successful go, <laughs> that's thats just that's incredible. Oh, thank you. I really you. appreciate you both being here today, Tom Stone and Jennifer Klutzel of the Cypress String Quartet. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank all right. you. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classroom, go to houstonpublicmedia.org slash classroom. Find all of our social media links on that web page. You can email me at dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org. You can subscribe to, rate us, and review us on iTunes. And you should, frankly. Thanks to audio producer Todd Middle Period Holslander for making us sound good. Thanks to editor Mark DiClaudio for his piercing weirdo eyes. Thanks to Tom Stone and Jennifer Klutzel for being here today. Thanks to me for saying words. And thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time. <clears throat> we'll catch you next time. I can't say I can't talk today.